looking to learn more on how to build wealth through real estate? You're in the right place. Welcome to the Make Money Make Sense podcast with Dante Belmonte. Each episode, we have the privilege to bring you a professional in the real estate world. One that will help you become a top investor, whether that's a passive role or managing the day-to-day. Let's jump right in. Alrighty, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Make Money Make Sense. I'm your host, Dante Belmonte, joined by my guest this week, Will Coleman. Will, how you doing, man? I'm doing great, Dante. How are you? Doing really well. Thank you for being here. So I'm trying to remember how we originally got connected, but we've known each other for, I want to say like about a year now. Um, we probably just found each other on social media. I believe this is when you were with uh, Rand Capital, right? Or you want to speak yep. on that, where you, what you were kind of doing, and then we can you know, just take it from there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I was working with Jake and Gino. Um, a lot of people are familiar with them. They are a you know a, education platform as well as you know they they buy and manage a pretty pretty sizable multifamily portfolio. So I was working with them. They were building a, a debt company called Rand Capital, which was a commercial mortgage brokerage. So they helped people source capital for multifamily. Um, and I. I don't think you were you. You didn't join as a student, correct? You just I did not. No, Josh. I was not a student with them. Correct. Yeah. Yep. So yeah, if my memory is correct, Josh Rusin, who's the man, um, I think connected us and was like, "Hey, Dante is a stud. Um, you know, he, he's looking to buy some multifamily. See if you can help him out." And um, we, I think we spoke on the phone a couple times just about multifamily debt, and um, then I found you a year later on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's we how we, we got re- reconnected. So basically I have a, a, an anonymous Twitter page that has like, it's at like 11,000 followers. So it's really, it's gotten a lot of traction and this is like a, I, I may have talked about it in other episodes, but this is like a really fun spot for me to just spew nonsense, real estate related, and just like literally have some fun with a bunch of people on there. And, and I've done just that. I've networked with so many people on there uh, gained some investors and cultivated some more relationships and got reconnected with you because now you're with uh, Urban Gate Capital. Is that correct? That's correct. All right. Why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about what that is and what you're doing now? Because I know you kind of you uh, switch gears a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. So when I was at Rand Capital, so I, I've always been in the debt space. I worked at commercial real estate bank prior to working at Rand. For some reason, I've just always loved debt. And when I was at Rand, I kind of had the realization that a debt broker is valuable, but it's not invaluable. Um, and I kind of wanted to be a part of a business or you know, my business offer a product that is like invaluable, meaning that maybe invaluable is not the right word, but like that people need our product. Yep. That they, you know, like that not necessarily need, but like they love our product. They really, really want it. There's a high demand for our product. And a, and a debt broker is it's it's valuable, but and you could probably attest to this. Once you do a couple of deals with a debt broker, you realize, oh, they're going to the same three to four people. Right. And eventually you can just, I'm just going to call those people directly. Um, so I kind of had the realization that our, our borrowers can outgrow us. And I, that made me reflect on, okay, what's a business or a debt product that, that our borrowers can't outgrow us. Yeah. And that comes down to, Okay, we have to be providing the capital. You know, we have to be the ones that has the capital and we're lending it out. That they go directly to, essentially. Exactly. Yeah. I, I think that's huge because you, you said it really well. Like you start to cultivate a relationship with these debt brokers and uh, mortgage brokers, essentially. And, um, you know, you start to do multiple deals with them and you're like, oh, they're only taking it like to the same two, three shops. And it's like, why don't we just go directly to that shop? There's less communication. We can save some money. But it's tough because you've built this relationship too. So it's like teetering this fine line. Um, like our last two deals, we went through uh, a debt broker and that individual brought it to the same shop month after month. And we were able to do the same deal basically with the same shop. But it was like, what are they doing? What value are they adding to a certain extent? Um, not that I'm saying we're going to go behind that individual's back and you know go directly to those debt lenders. But you said it really well, and now that you guys are, or you personally are switching gears to where people have to come directly to you to get the capital. So 
talk to the listeners a little bit about what that capital structure is. Are you guys hard money, private money, long-term debt, short-term? Get a little bit more granular on the products you guys offer. Yeah. So we're really a a hard money lender for people who are flipping houses. That's like 99% of what we do. Um, So we raise capital uh, through investors in in a debt fund. So we have a a $10 million debt fund that we've raised capital through. Um, We pay uh, 8% preferred return uh, through monthly distributions to our investors. And then we lend that capital out uh, at about 12% and three points to people who are flipping houses on like a six month note. Um, we, that's, that's like 95% of what we do. We have done a handful of unique deals. So like, um, larger commercial deals. So like we did one $3.7 million deal and we're trying to get into the multifamily bridge space, but that'll Mm -hmm. be, um, down the road. I don't think we have quite enough capital to do, you know, multiple four or $5 million loans, but that's kind of the future vision. But right, right now, you know, and, it were, and we're really only in Middle Tennessee, so in Nashville and surrounding markets. So people who are flipping houses, flipping land, purchasing houses, purchasing land, who need quick, uh, you know, high leverage, short term loans on houses. That's uh, you know, on a six month note. That's that's uh, really our bread and butter. Yeah, no, I, I definitely love that. And I, you know, you got a good spread there for what the investors are getting versus what you guys are kind of keeping on top of that and putting everyone's capital work. So it's a win-win-win situation at the end of the day, because you have this investor that's looking to do a flip or a burr or a a very short-term loan, essentially. This isn't permanent debt for anyone that's listening. It's not designed for this. Um, And you guys are bringing investors in that are able to lend on that, get a return. Someone's able to do a deal. You guys are able to keep some spreads for the business because obviously you, you do this for profit and that's where you guys are able to make your money plus um, some points up front possibly as well. What what do you guys do as far as terms and LTV? So I was just talking with an individual on this yesterday. He's sitting on a lot of capital and he's like, I can't find any deals, but I'd like to you know lend out the money as hard money loan to people. And he's like, you know, what's the LTV? And I, I told him it just really depends on the deal and the experience of the buyer. So if it's someone that's doing their first flip, you're probably not doing 100% loan to value. You're probably, you know, 50, 75%. Um, and maybe not all the the uh, renovations, but if it's someone that's done fifty flips, maybe it'll do a ninety percent loan to value or loan to cost. It, everyone's different. So, like, what do you yeah. guys offer? What is your kind of buy box almost? Yeah, and it, I do have some questions I want to ask you. So, at some oh, point, yeah, for I'll, sure, I'll throw some questions your way. Um, but yeah, so we're we're pretty low leverage in the space. Um, what the terms I'm about to say may may sound high leverage, but in comparison to like the, the full picture. So I'll, I'll give it to you. So we will lend typically up to a hundred percent of the purchase price. Yep. So if it's a brand new borrower, uh, we might be slightly lower. Maybe it's 90% of purchase price. So to keep numbers easy, if it's a hundred thousand dollar loan or a hundred thousand dollar purchase price, we'll lend up to a hundred thousand. What we don't do that makes us a little unique is we don't lend on rehab funds. Okay. So we, we ask our borrowers to bring, their own personal capital for the rehab funds. And that's kind of in our eyes, a, um, a down payment in a sense. Mm-hmm. So if it's a new borrower, we may be willing to do hundred percent of the purchase price. If they're going to bring 20 to 30,000 of their own funds to renovate it. Um, but yeah, in terms of leverage, we like to be at about 70, 75% of the after repair value. Um, but the, we'll go up to hundred percent of purchase price and, um, yeah, we're, we can move. We can be pretty flexible. Yeah. And, and I like that for a few reasons. I, I feel as if for you guys, it makes it easier because it takes a little bit risk off the table because there's a lot of risk within the renovation and that individual is using their own capital. And you guys also don't have to have someone come out and do draws and constant inspections saying like, okay, you guys did the flooring. You did all the drywall. You did the paint. Here's $10,000. But before we give it to you, we have to send out someone to do um, a quick inspection for that draw. So I feel like for you guys, that cuts down on some of the work because you're not having to outsource third party in that market. You're not having to do draws. It's like, here's the money for the property, do the deal. Here's when it's due back and here's where it is with the interest. So I like that. And that's that's like, yes, we do it because we want to be lower leverage. But I'd say the main reason is because we don't have the bandwidth to do inspections and draws. and like Exactly. It's, yep. You know, you you have the investment side and the decision making, but you also have the scaling a company. And so, 
to, to, to completely not have to deal with draws and inspections and, and, and all that, it, it makes it much easier on an operation side. Um, and credit that credit goes to my business partner, Brandon Thornberry. That was, that's, that's definitely been his idea. Yeah, no, I think it's a great idea. I like it. And, you know, people are able to utilize your shop in a different way than someone else and being able to get that hard money. Like when someone comes to you and submits all the paperwork, how soon are you able to fund the acquisition for them? Pretty quickly. I, I always say I like the timeline of seven to 14 days. Yeah. Um, we can definitely do sooner. Like we, we funded deals the next day. Wow. Um, we don't want to do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, you know, it's stressful and it, it puts us in a, in a bind, but, um, we have done it. And, but I, I always recommend, you know, seven to 14 days from like the day you reach out to me is typically what we'll need to underwrite and approve and fund. Yeah, no. And I think that's great because essentially buyers can come in as cash buyers. They can put a contract on a property and say, Hey, I'm cash. Cause it really, it is, it's, it's a loan in the sense that where they're sourcing the funds from, but it's not your traditional mortgage appraisal, things like that. It's just cash. Do you guys do appraisals or is it more of you guys do your own comp set and data to figure out the numbers? Yeah. So my, my business partner, Brandon, he has flipped north of a hundred houses in middle Tennessee. He yeah. currently owns a portfolio of, I guess he probably doesn't want to give me, me to give out all his info, but you know, he, he's, he's, he owns three to 400 plus units specifically in middle Tennessee both yeah. single family and multifamily. Um, so I trust his opinion on valuation way more than any appraiser out there. Um, oh, yeah. in fact, in fact, he's probably more conservative than 99% of the appraisers out there. Um, so he makes all, uh, evaluation decisions. He's, he's what we call our chief credit officer. So he, all the approval of the loans goes through him. Um, so we don't do, we don't do an appraisal. Um, we you know rely on his expertise He's been investing in Nashville for 15 years. Um, so that is another operational advantage because we can move faster because we don't need to do the appraisal because we trust our in-house underwriting more so than we would an appraiser. Yeah. Local knowledge is what it comes down to. You guys couldn't do this in you know, Orange County, but you're able to do it in you know Central Tennessee where you guys are at. And I think that's awesome. And uh, yeah, that, that's good. So you guys are able to lend, essentially do cash quick, and you're able to do what you need to do to get the project through for individuals. So I think that's a, that's a huge advantage. Um, well, you, you said some, you had some questions for me. I'd love to hear these questions, yeah. give some answer and, and add some value to my own audience. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I'm excited for this because um, you have um, a unique kind of like insight into the market of your realtor of single family and multifamily, and yep. you're also a multifamily operator. Right. So I, I'm really curious just on the realtor side. Um, I guess we can start just with single family. What are you seeing from buyers? Like if a house that's on the market, is there no one making offers? Is there, is there a handful of offers coming in? What are you seeing from the, the realtor side? Yeah. So, you know, it, it's funny. I get this question a lot, especially at like family yeah. events. Like people are like, Hey, like, you know, what's going on in the market? You know, people yeah. are always curious. And they want to hear my opinion because I, I do a lot of volume. So they tend to trust what I have to say. So for an example, um, I, what I'm saying right now is if the home is in the right location and it's in the correct condition and it's a very uh, favorable location, you, you won't have problems selling that home within pricing that's in reason. If you're at some outrageous pricing, you know, you're going to have an issue. But if you're priced appropriately and it's a de desirable location and condition, it's going to fly. But, you know, okay. for example, th this neighborhood that my wife and I just built a house in. And you're in North was, Carolina, right? I, I'm in upstate New York is where I live. So the multifamily oh, okay. acquisitions, North Carolina, but the brokerage business is in upstate New York. Okay. Um, not affiliated with New York City, uh, population of like 150,000 here. It's not huge, cows, fields, things like that. But, yep. you know, to give you an example, the neighborhood that my wife and I live in, we just built a house and there's like a, a newer section and an older section. Older meaning like 20. 15, 2013, 2018. And then the newer section is, you know, our house. I'm looking at a house that's being built right now. And so this is the newer section. So in the older section, someone just bought a house in March for 500,000, 495. Um, and they put on the Facebook page because we have like community Facebook page. Hey, like we're getting ready to sell our house. If you know anyone that's looking to buy it, let us know. So at first I'm like, you guys just bought this house in March of 2022. Why are you already selling? 
I, I messaged him. He's like, you know, my wife's a doctor. She just got transferred for her job. Unfortunately, oh, wow. we found out a month after we bought the house. Well, in New York state, it takes 60 days to close on a house with a mortgage. So if they closed in March, they went under contract in January. Interest rates were still at an all-time low in January. So therefore, the buyer pool for that $495,000 you know, $495, house was very large. There was multiple offers. The house was listed for like four seventy. dollars They went over asking, waived all the contingencies. Typical story we've heard over the last two years. Yeah. Well, I went over. I spoke to them. I gave them my marketing presentation. They were happy that I was local. I was in the neighborhood. They felt like I had a lot of knowledge. So they ended up going with me over the agent that sold them the house, which is great. Awesome. Wow. Love to list in my own neighborhood. Well, you know, they bought for four ninety five. I said, listen, I'm going to be straight up with you. And I always am with all my clients. I don't throw out a high number just to get the listing. I just told them, I said, you bought it four ninety five. Your house hasn't appreciated that much in the last three, four or five months. I'm more comfortable listing at four ninety nine because it keeps under that $500,000 $500, number. It looks more appealing. And I'll tell you right now, we're going to get many questions of why you're selling the house after you just bought it. Mm-hmm. Sure enough, home goes on the market. We get all those questions, but interest rates have now doubled, almost tripled since they bought. And therefore, you know, well, what you have to understand is what I tell people is you have this $500,000 house, people that can afford a mortgage on 500000 at 3%. You double that interest rate to 6%, and that group can now only afford maybe a $400,000 house because the interest goes up, the payment goes up, therefore their debt to income, blah, 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 only qualifies them for that. So now we have this $500,000 home, which may mind you, the median home value in, in central New York is about two to 250. So we're double the median home value. The buyer pool is already small and it has now shrunk significantly. We're doing open houses. We're doing you know showings. I'm sending out mailers, putting the word out. This home is for sale. Great home at 499, we're getting nothing. We're getting crickets. We had like two showings maybe. And so I was just very upfront with him. I said, where'd you guys move from before you bought this house? And he was telling me Colorado. And I said, how'd you guys do on the sale of your house? He's like, oh, you know, we bought it in 2018. We sold it right before we bought this and we made a $300,000 gain. He said, that's great. You guys made a lot of money real quick. I said, but you guys need to understand you're going to have to take advantage of that gain with the loss you're about to take on this house. Because after closing costs, after commissions, mm. you bought for four ninety five. We're at four ninety nine. We're getting no activity. We're gonna have to take a price adjustment. And so we, I, we adjusted down to four seventy five. I think it was, and that ended up drawing up a little bit more um, interest from individuals. And we actually drew up some offers that put them at four ninety. So we actually went over asking. But basically, the mindset I told them was, listen, you're in a super odd situation. You bought at the peak of the market. Prices are starting and the market's starting to normalize is the term we use a little bit more. So therefore you need to take the gains from that house you did sell and just say, hey, we made 300. We're about to lose, call it 30,000. Um, you, you made 270 then on that sale of that house in Colorado. The individual, the family, they trusted me, trusted what I had to say. We're able to move forward, get that house sold. Unfortunately, they did lose a little bit of money, but that's because of their super odd situation. I, yeah. I told anyone that bought a home for me in the last, or even an investment property in the last two years, we'll put investment property aside a home. Don't plan on selling this property for at least two to five years. Reason being is because where you bought at, you can probably sell at a similar price, but once you account for uh, sales costs and commissions, you're going to be losing money. And uh, that it's a very true fact, a very true statement. Same thing with investment properties. If you're not adding value in some degree, it's a numbers game. If you bought at a 3% interest rate, you you keep them rented out, haven't raised rents, haven't done anything to the building. Now you're going to sell it and it's 7% interest rate. It's a numbers game. So therefore, you're not going to be able to sell for as much. So I, I think we're getting back to a healthy market. 20 offers, 50,000 over asking, no contingencies. That's not healthy in my opinion. I think now we're being able to normalize. It's becoming healthy and we're able to do uh, more deals in a sense that way. Uh, yeah. I didn't want to work with any buyers in the last two years because it, it was like beating a dead horse. I, yeah. I had one couple, I think we put in 20 offers on homes and we're aggressive too. Like I'm talking no home inspection over asking, uh, you know, not even the down payment, just the deposit was their down payment. So instead of putting like a thousand or $5,000 earnest money deposit, 
we were doing like twenty, thirty thousand dollar earnest money deposit. We weren't not aggressive by any means. We were very aggressive. So I think we're gonna see back to where homes are gonna sit on the market a little bit. Uh, you're not gonna have houses selling the same day, uh, which is fine. A lot of yeah. real estate <laughs> yeah. agents and sellers are like, oh no, I'm I'm gonna miss this. Not really. Like th- this was kind of a fluke in my opinion. And that will, I'm sure you can think of 10 people right off the bat that got their real estate license the last two years. <laughs> I, I can, I can name a hundred, you know, just locally. Yeah. And that'll flush out the, the, the premature freshman and uh, real estate agents, in my opinion. And you'll have the professionals that were doing 30, 40, 50, <clears throat> 60 deals a year. They're going to stay afloat and they're going to stay on top. Um, I'm seeing that true right now. A lot of people in my office that don't do a lot of deals, they're freaking out. Well, I'm sitting over here with 16 pending deals because I, you know, I, I, I submerge myself in this industry and this is all I do. It's not a part-time gig. And I'm also not the real estate agent that's fighting over the, 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 the four bedroom, two and a half bath that's is going up for sale down the street. Cause I work with a lot of investors too. And that's a large percentage of my volume. So will the, the long short answer to your question there is we're normalizing. We are starting to see values tick down a little bit because of where interest rates are. And uh, I, I predict interest rates are going to be about 8% towards the end of the year. And then probably in 20, early 2024, we'll start to see interest rates plateau around that 4 or 5%, 6% rate um, as we start to get inflation under control. Yeah, it's, uh, there's a handful of things I wrote down. So I, I guess I don't, I don't have to bring them all up. But it is interesting to see, you know, six months ago, our interest rate was 12%. Yeah. And a home mortgage was 3%. Yeah. Now it's 8% <laughs> and our, our interest rate is still 12%. Yeah. So it, it's yep. like, it's weird being in the reality of, of uh, a 30 year mortgage has changed so much. Drastically. Our, like our interest rate all of a sudden doesn't sound incredibly expensive. Don't. Whereas a year ago, you know, like I tell people we're at twelve percent, and everybody's like, "Whoa!" Right, you know, right. Like, it's a double-digit number. Oh my god! Yeah. Like, yep. It's it's kind of wild how quickly um, the market can shift. Um, like, for example, now when I tell people we're at twelve percent, they're going, "Why aren't why aren't you, why aren't you higher?" You know, yeah. like. Um. So there's that, and then it really just kind of comes down to the buyer pool. Like, it, exactly what you said of all that's happened is now the cost of money is higher. So that's priced people out of the market. And so the buyer pool is smaller, which yep. just means that there's it's simple supply and demand. There's there's less of a buyer pool. And the the supply of housing might have changed a little bit, but it's relatively the same. Um, you know, it, I don't know the numbers on it, but the supply of housing hasn't drastically changed. It may have changed here and there, but the buyer pool has drastically changed, which now means those buyers have a better supply and demand ratio when they're looking at houses. So they can be slightly pickier. And we're, we're seeing the same thing in Nashville of houses are still selling. Um, there's definitely maybe a haircut based on there's no longer euphoria, you know, like borrowers, when they'd come to us, they'd say our, our a, we're going to say our AV is three seventy five, but we think we can sell it for four twenty five. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no longer any of that. It's, we think we can sell it for three seventy five. And we're making sure that we can also sell it at 365 and still make money. Right. Um, but the houses that are well done in good locations, you know, the, the three bed, two bath, that that the quality renovation, good locations, um, they're still selling. They are. Um, yeah. And it's, it's just a matter of the buyer pool is pickier. So the the properties that's, you know, a three bed, one bath, um, or a three, a th- you know, three bed, one bath that's not in a great location that they really cheaped out on their renovation. That may be hit a little bit more. Agreed. Versus the the you know a really well done property. There's still a buyer pool out there, and you know, that's as of right today, which is the end of September. Three months from now, if interest rates are eleven percent, um, which I I would agree pretty closely with what you, what you said of um, the range. So I I don't think I mean. I don't know. No one knows. I, someone on Twitter right. was telling me today that interest rates will be 12% for a 30 year mortgage. And if that happens, then again, it just shrinks the buyer pool, which impacts the supply and demand. And rate. it's going to shrink inventory. Cause think about Sally and yeah. Bob down the street that have a beautiful home and they refinanced at 2.8%. Why would they sell their home at 2.8% when 
to go buy a new home at 8%. They wouldn't. So they're going to say, I'm going to stay in my home because this mortgage payment is cheaper than, you know, something else I could go get right now. So that that's a, a big portion of it as well. So I do feel like we're going to start to see, and we're already starting to see a decrease in inventory as well, because that, that seller doesn't want to yeah. sell anymore. Um, that's just, you know, my, my two cents there. And, and also you were saying, you know, mortgages 3%, you guys are lending at 12%. Now mortgages at seven, 8%. You guys are still at 12%. Yeah. It doesn't start to seem so high. And we have bridge debt on some of our deals. That's lower than primary residence mortgage rates right now. That's Isn't a crazy, that crazy? thing. Yeah. And we have uh, two of the deals we have, it's a two year term with three year extension, a three, one year extensions. I'll just keep that in place instead of refinancing. I'll just, you know, continue to pay that lower rate than what firm debt is, uh, which is fairly interesting. So yeah, my, that's my two cents. Yeah. I mean, I remember quoting like 3.2 bridge debt on, wow. you know, a $20 million asset. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, this was two years ago, but I mean, now that same loan is probably seven, seven and a half percent. I mean, I, I wouldn't know on that, something like that. It may be lower, but it it is pretty incredible. Like I, I remember quoting a, a borrower three point two, and he was like, "What what do we got to do to get the three flat?" And I was like, "Come on, man, just are you, are you just serious? Take the rate, <laughs> yeah, yeah, take it and run." <laughs> I was like this is an incredible rate. Um, yeah, that's funny, funny, funny. So, last question I'll ask you. I I do have a Bitcoin question, but we can save that for the end because yeah, fire know, away. We've got time. No worries. Um, what about on the debt side for single family and multifamily? Like our what terms are you seeing for people that are buying in terms of leverage? Um, I know I have a good idea of interest rates, but are banks being really low leverage and being really pulling back a lot? Or what are you seeing both on the single and the multifamily side? Yeah. So the single family side, like we said, we're around like seven. We, we just tipped the, the scale of 7% interest rate. Um, a, again, that's affecting the buyer pool because the individual that can afford that payment has gone down. So, you know, if you're in the 500 range, now you're at 400. If you're at 400, now you're at 325 and, and so to speak. So, you know, I, I work very close. The nice thing about our brokerage is we're the only brokerage in my market that is also a bank and we're able to originate mortgages, which is great. Oh, I wow. Have, yeah. I've got a mortgage lender that sits on the other side of me at my office at work and he's phenomenal and he does the majority of the single family mortgages and he keeps me updated. You, you know, here's where we're at. Yeah. Um, here's where rates are at. Here's how activity is. Um, but really more on the multifamily side, I think that's a huge deal because I don't want to, and I don't want to say this and sound very, uh, cliche, but like bridge debt is dead right now to a degree. Mm. Bridge debt is very difficult because no lenders are doing fixed rate debt. It's all floating and you have to buy a cap and that cap can be anywhere from a hundred to $500,000 at closing, which is crazy. So wow. quick story with that, the acquisition we just did in July, called up our lender Hey, we want to do the same debt we just did with you on the deal last month. Can we do that? Yeah, you can. It's going to be fixed. It's going to be a point higher. But here's the kicker: that is going to that rate is going to expire in 30 days. So you have 30 days to close this 44 unit deal. Listen, you know we can't do that. We have a survey. We have an appraisal. We have uh, security docs. We have to raise capital. Listen, like the, the, we have no choice. Your rate's going to adjust in 30 days and it's no longer going to be fixed because we're not offering a fixed product in 30 days. Okay. Call our attorney, call my partners, call, you know, the whole gang. Listen, here's the deal. It's a great deal. Do you guys want to take this down in 30 days or what? Okay, let's do the challenge. And so we went under contract, did due diligence, got our securities docked, raised $1.5 million in less than a week, um, rushed a wow. survey, rushed an appraisal, and did it all in 27 days. And we were able to close on a 44 unit in 27 days. Like that, that's like our biggest win to date. And wow. rocked locked our rate in. It's a fixed rate. I think it was 6.99% bridge fixed with about, I think it was like 70, 75% LTC, which in my opinion was really strong. So, yeah. you know, that's great. But now all bridge debt is floating. So now we run into the issue. If you're not using bridge, what are you using? You're using agency. And the problem with agency right now is you have to hit a debt service coverage ratio of usually, depending on the market, 1.25, 1.35. Well, to get there, as people should know, and as I know you know, Will, your interest rate goes higher, 
your debt service coverage goes down because you need to service that debt and it's more expensive. So uh, essentially to hit that debt service coverage ratio, you have to put more money down. So now we're finding deals were highly leveraged in 2020, 2021, 2022, because prices were high. Individuals wanted a premium for their property. So to meet the pricing that individuals wanted, sellers, you had to put more money down to get to that debt service coverage. Well, now we're dealing with the same issue in a different light. The the, the interest rate is higher. So in order to be able to service that debt, maybe you're going at 55, 60 or 65% loan to value to hit that debt service coverage ratio. So yeah. that's a big issue. But where I see value right now with investment properties to get a good price on your sale is assumptions. So mm-hmm. we had a project that we bought in December of 2021. We bought for 2.5 million, a little 24 unit uh, right in the Charlotte MSA. And we had a broker that was an LP on the deal. And he had a buyer that was looking to 1031. And so therefore 1031, he had a little bit more cash and he was able to come to our deal and dump all that 1031. He's going to pay the 1% assumption fee to lock in the 3.49% seven-year fixed rate debt. And therefore our value was able to be higher because he wasn't paying 6% on the debt. He was paying 3.49. So to me, the assumption is really powerful, but you have to have the capital to deploy it. Because mm-hmm. if you've got an assumption, if we were, we were, I think like 73% leverage when we bought that deal in December, that was on 2.5 million. Now, if we need that individual to bring the capital to get from our purchase price down to where that principal is to assume the debt, he has to bring more like, uh, let's see what that number is. It was like a 3.3 million purchase price divided by 1.8 million. Uh, Let me make sure I'm doing that right. 1.8 divided by 3.3 million. That's a 54, rounded up, 55% loan to value. So he had to bring 45% down where we were only bringing roughly 27% down. He's bringing double the capital almost. So he was able to do that because he had the 1031. So he was sitting on a pile of cash. If we wanted to sell that deal outright today, we probably could only get $3 million for it if someone was taking on fresh debt. But the yep. assumption is powerful. And what's even more powerful, in my opinion, is having the agency debt that allows for a supplemental. So you can lock in that low rate by assuming the debt and then get a second appraisal, get the uh, the uh, supplemental debt, which really is um, a second position with the first lender. For those that don't understand, it's going to be at a higher interest rate. And that allows you to access more equity without putting on a whole new fresh loan on the property at 6%. So that's yeah, kind of my take there. Absolutely. And it, it really goes to show the importance of debt management. Like, I don't think a lot of people think about, especially two or three years ago, like, okay, I want to make sure my loan's assumable. I want to make sure I'm able to get a supplemental loan. Yep. Because now... But having both of those options makes your property significantly more valuable and you can sell it at a higher price um, versus trying to take it to the market because the debt terms will change. So this this is one of the reasons I love debt so much is I feel like it's, it is the driving factor of the economy yep. and people don't really pay attention to it or, or think about debt management. And when, when I say that, most of the best investors I know, especially in real estate, they pay a lot of attention to debt management. You know, mm-hmm. they, they pay attention to acquisitions and management as well, uh, quite heavily. But um, structuring your debt in the correct way is it's it's like really valuable for long term ownership and long term, you know, getting the best out of your investment over the long term. So I, I think it's uh, it's it's like a, a, a an underpaid attention to thing and it's it's arguably one of the most important things. Oh, I totally agree. Like for example, we were offering on a 64 unit and I think it was April. So interest rates were starting to tick up a little bit. And mm-hmm. sellers like I want 11 million. We wrote them an offer for 9.5 million because we always offer according to what the numbers are. We're not going to overpay and, and not get a deal. And so the sellers like, well the broker because it was a broker deal. Uh we're going to go with another offer. Thank you for your offer. Okay, fine. August rolls around, they call me back and they're like, Hey, <laughs> seller will do 9.5 million. And I'm like, Hey, that's great and all, but what's happened since April and August interest rates have significantly increased. 
let me adjust my underwriting and get back to you. You know, we go through the numbers. Okay. That's great that he wants 9.5 million, but I'm only at, I think we dropped it down to like 9 million. Okay, perfect. We'll get back to you. Two weeks go by. I don't hear anything. He gets back to me in two weeks. He's like, ah, uh, you can do 9.2 million. I'm like, that's great. But two weeks have gone by and I don't know what you just saw <laughs> what the fed did, but yeah. I'm at 8.5 now. And I was like, I'll play this game all day. As much as I want a property and I want our investors to have a good investment, um, I'm not going to throw a stupid number at the wall and hope it sticks. Like it's got to be by the numbers. So this is why just today a uh, broker reached out to me and said, Hey, we had this 56 unit in your market that you like. Uh, we want to do the full marketing process, but that's going to take two to three weeks to get pictures, get all the data, all the marketing packet together. A lot can change in two to three weeks. So the seller gave us permission to take it to a few of our, you know, high class guys off market to see if we can preempt it and just take it down. Um, because pricing can change very quickly and it, and yeah. it has, and we've <clears throat> definitely, we've definitely seen that in this market. That's pretty incredible. Yeah. It, it, it's such a good example of how real time over just a few weeks, if interest rates go up, like the seller just lost out on $200,000 in value. Yep. Um, Cause he, he wasn't able to move quickly. Um, Very fast paced environment right now. Very fast. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And one, a few reasons we like the hard money lending stuff or I like to call it private lending, but you know the market calls it hard money lending. Is um, we we like the whole premise from the beginning was we're at kind of the top of the market. You know when we started this company to, a, a year and a half ago or so, and that that the, the top could last another two years, five years. No one really knows, but we're in a period where people are taking on a little bit too, too much risk and a little yep. bit too much risk, and they're drunk on free money. Um, so eventually that's going to shift. And when that does shift, you want like, so first we're in a first lien position. So if it, if it's world war three, hell and high waters, we are first lien position. We own, we now own these assets that, 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 you know, if the borrower wasn't able to pay us back. So worst case scenario, we're very protected, but then also, um, as the credit markets, shrink a little bit and as lenders and banks become lower leveraged and higher interest rates um and they're a little bit more selective on who they're lending to like that it actually opens up more of a market for us because we like there's there's more people searching for credit or for debt and there's right. less creditors or lenders so yeah. now our borrower pool or our capital is actually in more demand during a recession and our buyer or our, our customer pool, our borrowers, um, people that like, I, I got a call the other day of someone saying, we typically go with banks, uh, you know, and, and this is a very experienced flipper, someone that typically wouldn't use us because we're too expensive. Mm -hmm. uh, and he said, you know, typically we work with banks. This, this is someone who's doing 30 flips a year or so probably. Um, but he said that the bank has been a hassle to deal with. Their, their leverage has gone down quite a bit. Their interest rates are so much higher and it's just a headache working with them that they now want to consider using hard money or private money, even though it's slightly more expensive because we're slightly higher leverage in the banks and we're easier to deal with. So like in a recession, um, our clients, or our customers, we actually have access to a slightly more high, higher qualified buyer pool or borrower mm -hmm. pool. Um, so, you know, our product becomes in more demand. We have access to, to higher quality uh, borrower pool. I mean, this is something recently that has really been, I didn't even think about, but it's kind of nice is our loans are like, our average loan term is 71 days. So we're actually able to adapt and shift to the market in oh, real yeah. time. That's great. So, like, it's not a year loan. Exactly. So the, the, the money we lent out, like let's say we lent out $200,000 loan eight months ago. Um, you know, knock on wood, as long as everything has gone well, they'll have paid us back and then we'll redeploy that capital based on today's market. So on like recent comps, we can see what sold two or three weeks ago. So we're actually able to adapt with the market, which is it, it helps us become, you know, even that much lower risk of we can see what the market is doing right now when we're making loans and the, the capital we deployed eight months ago, we already have back. Again, assuming that everything goes well with that loan. Right. Um, so it's, it's been kind of cool to see of like the investment thesis so far has played out. It does depend on, you know, the cost of capital completely not destroying the buyer pool. Um, but that's that's why we've chosen to specifically lend in Nashville. 
because it's a market we know, it's a market we're experts on, and it's just growing at such a strong pace that we feel very confident in that market. But I, I don't want to get too overconfident because there, there's always the chance that um, interest rates go to 12% and the buyer pool becomes completely broken. And so then, yeah. then all these market, all these houses are sitting on the market. But again, in that scenario, we do have the ability to either modify our loans. So we could do slightly longer term loans and, and, and require you know, potentially higher interest rates, or we could foreclose on these assets and then rent them out and get cash flow that way. So it's- Well, you have first um, lien position. That's a big deal exactly. because at the end of the day, you still tangibly own something. You still have something to show for. It's not uh, a piece of paper and it's worth nothing essentially when you're done with it. So I think that's that's a big deal. And that's a, a, a pretty strong safe haven for you guys. Yeah, absolutely. It's, 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 it's first lien, it's high yielding in the short term. Um, and because of that, we really, really like it. Yeah, I think that's good. What, what else you got before we switch to our next section of the show? Sweet. So yeah, I won't keep it too long, but um, I'm, I I believe I saw you tweet on uh, tweet that you were not a huge Bitcoin believer and like you kind of believe it's backed by nothing. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Obviously, we don't have to like get into a discussion or anything, but I'm kind of curious just now that we're talk, talking face to face of mm -hmm. your thoughts on it and what, what your opinion is of it. Yeah. So, you know, I don't, uh, I will put that out there that I do not know a lot about Bitcoin. I basically know close to nothing to it. I'll say that. But okay. <laughs> my my thought process, process on it is, to me, it feels intangible. It feels like a fad. It feels like something that, and a, a lot of people disagree with this, and that's totally fine. That's my opinion. I like to stick to what I know. And something I know, and that's something I'm good at, is that is real estate. And with real estate, we can, you know, do the whole side by side comparison thing. But, you know, real estate has tax benefits. Real estate is tangible. Real estate cash flows. You're not going to get any cash flow from a Bitcoin um, if you own it. It's basically, an, in my opinion, an appreciation play uh, where real estate gives me so many. It, it supplements my life with the cash flow, with the rents, with the commissions. Uh, it dwindles my tax bill by taking the depreciation, the cost segregation. It appreciates in the fact that it's going up and we're adding value to it. Something like Bitcoin is very hard to add value to. Now, being diversified with something like Bitcoin, I could see that making sense. But these individuals that put 100% of their portfolio into Bitcoin or a very large percentage, I think is crazy. Um, yeah, I'd agree with that. Bitcoin was, let, let's look real quick because I, I don't know. It looks like it peaked around 65,000, somewhere around there. And now it's it's it tipped below 19,000. Um, and that was last year when it was peaked and now where it's tipped. So I know individuals that have made a lot of money with Bitcoin and therefore continue to double down on it and have lost all that money they've made plus more. Yep. Um, it, it seems like a very highly uh, risk asset. But again, this is because I don't know a lot about it. So it's, it's hard to knock something that you don't know a lot about. Um, yep. I can't say you know, Spain's a terrible country and they have nothing going for them because I've never been there. I don't know. I haven't done any research on them. They could be the greatest country in the world. I don't think that's the case, but that's an example. For me, I know real estate. I know how it's backed. I know how it functions. I know how it works. That's my lifestyle. So I can back it. And I'm always going to give the opinion that I think it's the, the better asset. So if you want to buy some Bitcoin and hold it for 10 years and, and hope it goes up and you don't want something that you have to like know a lot about or that takes any work, I think it's it it can be good in that aspect, but it, it seems like almost like another stock to me, in my opinion. No, and that that's fair. And the the first thing you said is my always my advice to anyone of only invest in things you know a lot about. Yep. Like only like you really want to have an advantage in wherever you're investing, and it, it so you really only want to buy things that you know a lot about. Literally. A few weeks ago, my girlfriend was like, hey, I just bought this stock. And I was like, well, what is it? She's like, I, I don't really know, but I read some article. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, never buy things you don't know what it is. Like you, you may, it, it may double, triple, who knows, but it's just a good rule to live by of only investing in things. Oh, for you, sure. And I, like really I do actually have some Bitcoin. So let me show you how much I have. Let me see. I got to log in. I have to deal with this go. verification <laughs> thing. So it's on Coinbase. Doesn't even recognize my computer because I haven't logged in so long. It's sending me an email confirmation. So this was like back in like, I think 2017. Some buddies and I were just screwing around and we bought some oh, Bitcoin. Oh, there you go. Uh, 
Your device is confirmed. Wonderful. Okay, let me in. Let's see here real quick. This next time you can use this window now and continue logging in. Bear with me here. I'm almost there. No worries. Okay. It says it recognizes my computer. This will be funny to see. I haven't logged in in a very long time and how much this is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's making me accept the user agreements. That's how long it's been. Uh, okay. Home. Here we go. It's loading. Let's see how much Bitcoin I own. I do remember a dollar and thirty six cents worth of Bitcoin. <laughs> Are you so, serious? Yep. So it I don't looks think that like, counts. Yeah, no, I don't think this counts. So okay, so I bought it in November of 2017. I bought like nine fourteen hundred dollars of it. And I can't tell if I sold or it just went down so much in value. There's no way it went down in value. So it looks like I I bought two, I don't even know if they're whole Bitcoins, but it looks like I bought like $1,500 twice worth of Bitcoin and then sold it in February of 2018. I probably should have kept it, you know, <laughs> I probably should have kept it because I don't, who knows what that would have been worth, but yeah, there. So I have a dollar and 36 cents worth of a Bitcoin. Um, I like it. it. <laughs> you know, it's just not my asset class. I think, yeah. like I said, People have made a lot of money out there, but these people on TikTok and online saying like they're Bitcoin millionaires and they're driving a Ferrari and things like that, like those are the people that are just going to get pounded if we go into a recession, in my opinion. Yeah, no, it's you know? it's definitely it's definitely high risk and it's it's a new asset. There's a lot of, like it it could go to zero, and that, I think that's a big difference between it and a lot of other things is that it you could wake up tomorrow and it could go to zero, <laughs> like. It yeah. is. It is a. Uh, it is at this moment at least a high risk at, risk asset. Yeah. Um, yeah. Totally. I agree. Guess the, yeah. Okay. We can move on. <laughs> yeah. No. You're good. So let let's head over to our next section of the show called the curious cues. I'm going to throw some questions at you. I ask all the guests, and we'll get your uh, your answer. Are you ready? Let's get it. All right. Some some real original ones here. Favorite podcast you enjoy listening to? Oh man. Um, Right now, it's it's more of a YouTube channel, mm. um, but it, it's called uh, Invest Answers. Okay. Um, the guy's name is James. It's it's very crypto related, but it's like it's like macroeconomics and crypto. Uh, it's called Invest Answers on YouTube. I, I listen to it every day. Cool. I'll have to check that out. That's cool. Maybe you'll you'll swindle me on the Bitcoin thing. You never know. I'll I'll, uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll, tw I'll send you some of this stuff. Yeah, please do. Favorite book you enjoy. So uh, my favorite book I've read recently is called uh, Multipliers. It's have you read it? I have not. No, who's that by? Uh, I, I always forget her last name. Her, her first name is Liz. Um, I think it's Liz Waldman or something. But Multipliers and the rest of the title is uh, so. It's full title is Multipliers: How the Leaders Make How Leaders Make the People Around Them Smarter or something like that. I like um, that. I think it's yeah, Liz multipliers it's it's completely changed the way i manage my team and, and lead it's it's uh it's a, it's a great book yeah i like that I'll, I'll check that one out for sure biggest hurdle in real estate you've had to overcome um i think the biggest one was mm, there's definitely been a handful i think there's two okay so i'll just stick with one of like whatever product you're offering to people or whatever um, business or product you're offering, like you really need to make sure that you're providing a ton of value. Yeah. Um, whether it's a realtor, whether it's a lender, whether it's a software product, like you really need to actually be improving their situation rather than just, you know, you think you might be, but they're like, no, this, this isn't actually benefiting me. Like it, this is, it's, it's, a, it's, it's all right. But like, Having a product or a service that just really, really um, adds a ton of value to people. Yeah, no, that's good. I, I think there's a lot of value to be added with that alone. You know, I think that's big. If you can implement that in your business and how you're doing things, uh, that'll be really good. Favorite non-real estate related hobby. So when you're not doing something real estate related, what do you like doing in your free time? <laughs> reading. <laughs> yeah. Big I don't reader. know if that counts, but yeah, reading and walking and, and um, I like, any form of competition, I guess I would say that. Like I love, I love playing sports. I love games. I love 
racing, like what, any what form of competition. So I, I played D1 soccer. I, I was a really, yeah, I was a soccer player my whole life. I'm I'm a big soccer player, so I I played soccer, but I had surgery my senior year, so I couldn't play my senior year of varsity. I didn't go to college, so I didn't play college ball. But like, I'm the captain of my men's league team right now. I'm on a co-ed nice. team. I got a game tonight. Love playing. Um, so that's cool. I didn't know that about you. That's pretty sweet. I'm I'm gonna guess you're a forward. Yes, sir. I'm a striker. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So two goals the last two games each. So four four goals total last week, which is good. So I like put nice. the ball in the back of the net. Um, cool. And then newbie advice. So what advice would you give to someone that's looking to get started in this, uh, it, whether it's real estate in general, or maybe even like the lending, the debt side, man, don't overthink, just go do like, just, if you're trying to buy a deal, get a deal under contract. If you're trying like go, um, I, I, I make the mistake of, uh, moving too slow and overanalyzing and try and be an expert before I do anything. Like mm. the best way to learn is just to go out and be brave and just do it. Uh, I mean, like I wish I would have not gone to college and started trying to buy real estate when I was 18, like just go make some offers, get something under contract and go from there. Yeah, no, that's good. That's good. I like that. Well, Will, this has been phenomenal. I really appreciate you taking the time, making the time so we can chat. If you don't mind taking a quick minute, let the audience know where they can reach out to you where they can do some business with you and where they can get some ultra low 12% hard money loans. Those are low right now, man. I'll tell you They're hard money. Yeah. Well, thanks Dante. This, this has been a lot of fun. Good, good to catch up. And I appreciate um, this. I've, I've probably gotten more value out of this than, than, than you have. Um, from me, <laughs> no but worries. Yeah. My, my email is will at urbangatecapital.com. So will at urbangatecapital.com. Our website is urbangatecapital.com. And then since we've been talking about Twitter, my my Twitter is at WillColeman31. There we go. There it is. Awesome. Well, again, Will, appreciate you. Great connecting with you, chatting with you. And uh, I'll catch you on Twitter here in a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds great. Thanks for listening. We hope you were able to take some value away from today's episode. For more information or to connect with Dante, visit victorycapgroup.com. See you next week.